Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, hello and welcome and thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and today Tim Cockrell is back with me at the microphone. We'll be discussing his recent sermon from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And so, Tim, we're, we're four sermons into this series. I believe it's scheduled to end uh, somewhere in the first part of December, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so how has God been using this four sermons in, in your life? Yeah, I think, I mean... Every passage you come to has such practical significance, but they all drive down to the heart. And even as I was preaching on Sunday, you know, the the tendency we have toward the external and the outward. And quite honestly, when you're in a pastoral role, there's an even greater temptation perhaps there. You want people to think of you in a godly way or, or think that you're doing a good job in a certain way. That I think it's just a good opportunity for me to check my own heart to evaluate, am I poor in spirit? Am I actually mourning over sin? Or have I somehow gotten over the gospel in my practical day-to-day realities? And so just that that constant reminder that I can't do any of this that Christ has called me to in and of myself. And so it deepens my dependence on the gospel. It causes me to preach the gospel Mm -hmm. myself every day, as we've talked about before. And I think it just continues to orient me to the priorities that God calls us to. You know, you, you, at the end of the sermon, you share three, three ways that many of us struggle, uh, three areas that many mm-hmm. of us struggle in dealing with this type of a text or this type of, of a context. Uh, it's the heart, it, it, our actions come out of what's in our heart. It's mm-hmm. really what uh, Jesus seems to be saying here. And I had at the end of our ABF study, our adult Bible fellowship, one of our class members said, well, where do you struggle? And sometimes we can overshare as a, but I said, yeah, I just threw it out there. I said, yeah, I cotton to all three of those Mm. problems because I deal with all three of those. Mm -hmm. And I think probably if we are honest, all of us deal at some level with each of those three areas that you shared. Absolutely. And I think the, the great encouragement that we have is that when we deal with that conviction, it's not condemnation if we belong to Christ, that it's just simply a reminder that we are not yet what God has called us to be. And so we continue to work out our salvation. We continue to press forward with the recognition that he's going to be the one who provides the enablement. Well, you bring that up. It is, again, we, we've said this phrase regularly over the past number of months and years, even uh, since you've been uh, here with us. But that is the idea of it. It's an already but not yet type of matter. We we are already saved. Jesus has already fulfilled the law, but he's still working in us to bring it to total fulfillment in what will be a renewed, reclaimed, renovated world. Absolutely. At the end. So uh, this passage really, and I think you mentioned this, it's really the introduction to the, the six examples that mm-hmm. Jesus is going to give us here in the coming uh, coming weeks, the latter part of chapter five, uh, of how we often miss the point with the law. You've already touched on that. And, and he opens this passage by dispelling what was then and I believe is now too, a, a common misconception that the law was defective. We often think that way. He clearly states that he's not diminishing the law, rather he's here to explain Pose it and, and to fulfill it completely. Why do you think m- many of us, I've been guilty of this, mm-hmm. th- buy into this misconception that the law is defective 
and that uh, Jesus came to really abolish it. We still need that that reminder from him today that he's not here to abolish it. Right. Well, and I think we can fall into two different categories, and sometimes we deal with the same struggle in both of them at the same time. One would be that the law is is just old and obsolete. You know, it is irrelevant. That it tried to make people good back in the day, and it just never was successful at that, and so we needed Jesus. And so when Paul says we're not under the law, we can quickly then discard the law. The other would then be the idea of self-salvation by keeping the law. That, man, that's the way that God really wants us to, to act and interact as we seek to honor him. And so Jesus is saying, no, you're not saved by keeping the law, but it doesn't then relegate the law to some obsolete, insignificant thing. No, the law and, and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, are pointing us to the very heart of God. And I think that's one of the things he's going to make clear as he continues to say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, is that they're kind of trying to focus on the the most extreme examples and saying, well, we'll just avoid those things negatively. Whereas Jesus says, no, there's positive priorities you're to pursue and cultivate in your own heart. And so when we read the Old Testament and we think about God's commands, it's not just what we are to avoid, but also the priorities we're to cultivate in our own lives. Okay, so somebody says, well, okay, I've read the law. There's some weird stuff in there. So should we be killing those who are committing certain types of sins? Should we not be wearing clothing that is comprised of two different types of materials? What gives there? Right. Well, and that often is then the the response of, you know, we can't eat dairy with our meat because it says don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. But I think what we have to understand is when Jesus came to fulfill the law, all of those things continue to be true, but not all of them apply in the same way. And I mentioned on Sunday, the sacrificial system is one of the clearest ways. Mm -hmm. Now, the sacrificial system is a powerful picture but now that Christ has come as the ultimate Passover lamb, we're not still offering sacrifices because he is the once for all sacrifice. And there are certain other aspects of, of what I would call kind of the ceremonial law um, that no longer are in application because of what Christ has done. So we see even in the book of Acts where Jesus tells Peter to take, kill, and eat some of these animals that had been unclean up to that point. It doesn't mean that God then suddenly changed his mind, but rather that through Christ's coming, that the distinction even between Jew and Gentile were eliminated because of the fact that all could be saved through Christ. And that's part of that already mm-hmm. that we talked about. Correct. And then the not yet is yet to come, obviously. Okay, so I was intrigued on Sunday with how you portrayed the Pharisee spiritual leadership. I had never thought of it this way, but you said that they are generally seem to have raised the bar of spirituality. And of course, there are the people in Judea would have said, well, yeah, these are our leaders. These are the ones who get it all right. We have mm-hmm. to follow them. Jesus in verses 19 and 20 was essentially saying they had really lowered the bar, you said. So I am also assuming that you would say that the 21st century church probably displays the same tendencies. If you do agree with that comment, what are some of those tendencies that you see in our 21st century dynamic? Sure. Well, I think the first one that comes to mind is just the the priority of the outward. You know, I mentioned that on Sunday that we We want to have kind of a a polished, superficial experience, uh, appearance to other people. And so we prioritize what other people can see. And so we imagine if I'm not committing these really big sins, you know, murder or adultery, things that seem like the really bad category, that somehow we're okay. But in our hearts, we're still harboring sins that are, 
are insidious and cancerous. We, we hate other people. We, we lust after other people in our hearts. And we still think that we're respectable because these feel like they're a different category or a more respectable sense of sin. I think the other thing that we are prone to do that Jesus is going to call the Pharisees out here on is that we tend to go toward the outer limits of what we can get away with. Hmm. You know, I, I think about, you know, I've served in, in middle school and high school ministries before where often the question that ends up getting asked is, if I'm in a relationship with a girl, how far is too far? How far Wrong can, question. <laughs> how far can I get away with? And, and you know, we, we look at that and we kind of we say, okay, you're completely missing the point. But then we think about our own spiritual life and don't we do the same thing? How how much dishonesty can I get away without being really a dishonest person? How close can I get to the edge of of gossip or or slander or something like that without having really majorly messed it up? And I think Jesus is pointing out you're you're asking the wrong question. You're going the wrong direction. Rather than trying to get as close to the edge of God's will as you can, you ought to be seeking to pursue the center of it. And that's really the heart of what he's saying. It's like asking your coach, uh, hey, coach, what, what's the least I can do and still start on Friday night? Right, exactly. You indicated that the Old Testament, and I think I'm quoting here, the Old Testament is not obsolete and that we need to do the hard work to study and understand the Old Testament as it reveals God's character, his plan, and his heart. Now, Tim, it sounds like you're saying that an unbalanced diet of Old and New Testament scripture will stunt one's understanding of who Jesus really is and what he's come to accomplish. I think that's exactly right. And we have to acknowledge at the outset, that's hard. I mean, the Psalms may not be as hard. There may be certain stories that we've grown up with in Sunday school that are not as hard. But when you go to read something out of the book of Genesis or Hosea or Habakkuk or whatever Old Testament book you might choose it's going to require a lot more work to really think through how does this apply to me? What doesn't apply to me? We've already mentioned there are certain right. aspects of the Old Testament that maybe don't directly apply to us because of the work that Jesus has done. But I think if we neglect the Old Testament, we neglect a richness, one, to our understanding of God. Secondly, we run the risk of skewing our picture of God. Many times you talk to people that say, well, I'm sure glad we have the God of the New Testament who's full of love and mercy and grace and not the God of the Old Testament who's full of justice and wrath and holiness. Well, as soon as you've done that, you've committed heresy, you know, because it's the same God. And so I do think there's an appropriateness for us to sometimes just tremble before God as the Israelites did in Exodus 19, right before God came to give the law of Moses to examine our hearts as we hear the prophetic calls and the condemnation of the, the laziness or the self-indulgence of Israel. And so if we ignore this wide swath of the Old Testament, it also says something about our view of Scripture. If we really believe that all of Scripture is given by God through inspiration for our benefit and our equipping, then if we neglect a, a significant portion of it, we kind of imagine that we know better than God does what we actually need. Somewhere, Old Testament scholar Chris Miller said, hallelujah. <laughs> okay, you, you mentioned that, that true righteousness begins and ends with the heart, but that doesn't give a pass to the believer whose heart isn't feeling righteous, does it? Is there ever a sense that we need to do the right thing according to God's law, mm -hmm. even if we aren't feeling like it? Absolutely. And here we want to clarify, heart 
in our American context typically has to do with our emotions, and it certainly can include that. But in the Israeli, the Hebrew context, it would have had to do with the emotions, the mind, and the will. And so one of the things that Americans, I think, are prone to do is say, well, I just have to follow my heart. Well, that is a very unbiblical idea. We don't follow our heart. We actually lead our heart. We guide our heart by tethering it to truth and focusing it on what God has called us to do. And so sometimes when we know we need to do something, but we don't feel like it, by doing it anyway, with the right mentality, the right desires before God, we actually are honoring him. Even if we don't understand it. Exactly. And so, you know, if I think about my own marriage, there are times where loving Katie means I do something that I don't feel like doing. But by doing that, I'm actually demonstrating my love for her. As long as I'm not doing it with a, you know, angry, begrudging spirit that I'm showing, hey, even if this isn't convenient or comfortable for me, I will do it because I love you. And that's essentially what God is calling us to do is to not just go through the motions, but to really carefully examine our motive. And keeping with with relationships, another example I know would be and I, you know, I have uh, children who are in their adulthood and then four of them married, but those who say, but I love this person. I know he's not a believer or she's not a believer, but I, I love them and I don't think God is against love. Uh. Right. Well, and that's the thing is so many times what we do is we take our emotions and we make them the engine of the train. And so we allow our emotions to guide us in the direction that we ought to go. Our, our emotions make a lousy engine. They make a much better caboose. And so they're important, they're, they're going to be a part of the equation, but we need to lead them through truth, and we ultimately find that in what God's Word reveals. There's a unique passage in 1 John, and I love 1 John, just a very concise book talking about Jesus, you know, Jesus being light and love, and just so much in that little book. But John seems to be saying in this passage here in chapter or 2 that the new covenant is not really new it's the verse seven is where i'm focusing he says an old commandment that you had from the beginning that really gets at what jesus is saying it's it's i'm telling you something that's not new it's old it's this is the same thing we've been talking about from genesis chapter one guys Mm -hmm. well and i think the distinction we want to make is that is an old commandment and a new covenant So what God is calling his people to do and to be is the same as what he always has. To love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love their neighbor as themselves. This is what Jesus says is the summary of all the law and the prophets. But the challenge they ran into was that they couldn't do it. They were constantly falling short of that because of the pervasiveness and the pollution of sin. And so even in the context there of 1 John 2, he's calling them to walk in the light. Whereas before they were groping around in the darkness. And the thing that has changed is not the commandment, but the covenant. Mm. It's the enablement, not the requirement. And so God is suddenly now filling us with his Holy Spirit such that before our hearts were hard, but now they are soft. Before our eyes were blind, but now they can see. And we are progressively and intentionally growing more and more like him because of his work in our lives. Okay, he's filled us. He's calling us to faithfulness. He's calling us to righteousness. And I got to tell you, I mess up all the time. <laughs> and I know you, you you can say an amen mm-hmm. from personal experience yourself. But 
I'm so often not what I know I should be. I, I really resonate with Romans chapter seven, where Paul seems to be saying the same thing. Uh, it's very easy sometimes just to say, well, I just can't do this. I, I want to give up. I don't think I'm unique, though, in that feeling. Encourage those who, like me, can't seem to get it right, like everybody else seems to get it right. And I get, we can get so frustrated with them, with ourselves and even with God. Encourage mm-hmm. us. Yeah, well, there's a couple of things there. One, we're prone to look around at everybody else and say, well, why can't I have my act together like all of them? And this is where that focus on the external and the outward is so corrosive, not only to our own lives, but to Christian community. If I'm fake and not being transparent, if I'm acting like I have it all together and always concealing my own faults and failures and weaknesses, well, then I'm not allowing the grace of Christ to radiate through my life. I'm trying to kind of conceal it. And that's just going to breed greater insecurity and isolation within community. But I think also we have to recognize God has told us that this is going to be hard work. It's going to be required discipline. You know, Paul says in Philippians chapter two, work out your salvation with fear and trembling that we are to exercise this discipline. And that's going to require muscles spiritually that are going to take development and are going to get sore sometimes. But that when we do fail, when we do struggle, that isn't a cause for despair. Because our hope, if you look in there in Philippians chapter two, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we aren't left to ourselves. We're not called to draw on our own resources. Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. And so he doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to be faithful, to continue to be dependent, to continue to trust what he provides, not what we can. And that as we continue to do that, even if we're taking just small incremental steps, we're going to draw closer and closer to the heart of God in in the process. When we fall, get up and know that we have the power to get up. Christ is picking us up. Mm -hmm. Great. Tim, next week we're going to be moving into uh, some very practical uh, application, applicable stuff, uh, starting there in verse 20. Two or twenty-seven. I'm or no, I'm sorry. We're in verse twenty-one, mm-hmm. uh, where we are looking at uh, really, as you said before, the heart is where mm-hmm. all this stuff starts. Can you give us any uh, insights or maybe a homework assignment that you want to you want to give the listeners to be preparing for this coming week? Yeah, I'm not sure if I have any specific homework assignment, but just it, it talks about such a practical topic, which is anger. A conflict with others, the words that come out of our mouth. And so I think I would just say, as hopefully is the case for every time we gather, that we come with a heart ready to be convicted. Because I think that's Christ's intention here, is to point into our own hearts to say, there is still much that he wants to bring to the surface. Again, not to condemn us, but to cleanse us, to help us to live in light of the reality of the gospel and to experience the joy and the flourishing and the restored relationships that he intends for his people. Really appreciate your focus here in Matthew chapter five. I want to turn uh, to make a a left hand or a right hand turn, whichever way we're going here. And that is give us just a quick overview of your week last week. I think folks would really be encouraged to hear uh, where you and a few others from our church were and why you were there, what you saw. 
Absolutely. So last Monday, I went with a group of seven of us from Grace up to Boston, where Cam and Carissa Sardano, Cam is currently serving as our pastoral resident, they're hoping to plant a church in the Boston region. Uh, Boston's less than 3% evangelical Christian as a, an urban area with a total of over 6 million people in that metro area. Uh, large chunks of that city have just almost zero gospel witness. And so part of our purpose was to connect with some of the churches and pastors and planters in that area. Part of our purpose was to help Cam and Carissa as they seek to discern next steps. And so we took representatives from our elder team, from our GO team, which is our global outreach team that focuses on uh, church multiplication and church planting. And we just had a really sweet time of seeing what God is doing, hearing stories of God's faithfulness. Uh, getting to know one another. That's one of the really sweet things about being able to travel together and just prayerfully considering what the Lord would have for us in the future. And so as we've talked about Multiply Grace, which is a, an initiative, if you will, a focused effort to develop and deploy our members to strengthen, support, and even plant new churches, we're just excited about what God has in the future and the work he's already doing in Cam and Carissa's life. And so we're just prayerfully considering what that'll look like here in the future. I know you've had a big re-entry into uh, the big uh, changing from one big city to the other, Cedarville. <laughs> and so great to have you back, and thanks for all your work, Tim. Thanks, Bart. We've been digging deeper today with Tim Cockrell, and we invite you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. And plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our study of God's Word in Matthew chapter 5. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.